0: 1 Samuel chapter 23. We've been studying the life of David, and if you're like me, you found it rather fascinating. Because as we look at his life, we know through the scriptures that he's called a man after God's own heart. But he wasn't born that way, was he? He had to become that. He had to endure some difficult times. He had to endure some hardships. He had a bunch of things that he had to go through before he would actually be that man after God's own heart. Now, we have the benefit of looking back over his life because it's recorded for, him in, recorded for us in Scripture. So we can look back at 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, and we can read the Psalms and see all these incredible things that God was doing in the life of David, and we can learn from his life and from the lessons that he learned from, which is a blessing to us. But he didn't have that, did he? Because he was busy writing those books, or he was busy living those books. He didn't get to read 1 Samuel when he was in first, he didn't know how his life would end up. What he did know that he was going to be appointed king of Israel. And as we've said in the past, that was confusing to him because I'm sure if God has ever given you a promise in life and you think it's going to go your way to get where God has called you to go, you're probably sadly mistaken because God always has a different way. God has to send you to some places to endure some difficult times because he's got to grow you and prepare you to get you where he needs you to be. So at this time in David's life, he didn't know anything about his glorious future coming up. He knew that he would be king, but instead he finds himself well on the run. He's a fugitive on the run for his life, not the life of a king that he expected. So here he finds himself on the run. He didn't have the luxury of reading the books that we get to read. He didn't have the Psalms before him because he was living them. When we last left him in the last chapter, do you remember? He was living in a cave of Adulam. The group of 400 men that came to him, they were distressed. They were in debt and they were discontented. Not the kind of guys you want to become the leader of, but they're these men. And we read in the Psalms how he began to pour into them. He began to teach them the fear of the Lord. And same thing, we know what they became. They became valiant men, men who knew how to handle a sword, men that knew how to handle a spear, but that didn't happen overnight either. And we saw as David was in this cave that his attitude changed. He went from an attitude of discouragement, an attitude of despair, to an attitude of praising the Lord. And the prophet of Gad said to David, Don't stay in the stronghold any longer. Don't stay in the cave any longer. Depart and go to the land of Judah. You see, while there's a time to be in a cave in life, while there's a time to be isolated, there's also a time to leave. There's also a time to get out on your own. It's time to make some changes. And you can imagine to David's dismay, go to Judah? Why, Why would I do such a thing? Why would I go to Judah? Because that's where King Saul was. And in our studies, we know that King Saul was trying to kill David. So you're telling me to go closer to my enemy? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm telling you to do. David was obedient. He was obedient when he did that. Like I said, there's a time in life where it's time to be in a cave. And there's also a time where, hey, it's time to get out. It's time to do the work of the Lord. God has work for for David. God has things he wants David to do. God wants to grow David in different areas of his life. And he's done with him in the wilderness for this season. Oh, he'll find himself back there and not very long from now. But for now, it's time to get out. It's time to move on. Now, why would God move him out of the cave? Why would he he want to move him out of this place? Why would David want to leave this place? Because the cave, well, it can become safe. It can become familiar. It can become comfortable. We know it's necessary for spiritual growth. You can see where David might say, well, I'm just happy here just leave me here, leave me in my cave, just let me, let me live out the rest of my days here. But that's, that wasn't his heart at all. You see, he had a promise from God to be king of Israel. David wanted to move past being out of the cave. When the prophet said, hey, now is the time, it's time to go. Why would God move him out of the cave? Why would it be time to move? Because God has work for David to do that can't be done in the cave. The cave was necessary for his growth and for his spiritual maturity, but God has work for him to do that he can't do there. David can't help anybody in the cave. Maybe he's growing spiritually, but he can't help anybody else. He can't help other people. He can't serve other people living an isolated life in a cave. Well, he's going to be king of Israel. God called David to the cave, and God called David to leave the cave. While the cave was a great place for him to be for a time, there came a time where he had to leave. David was obedient, and we saw this all in the last chapter, and he went to Judah when he was supposed to. Even though, even though logic might make you scratch your head and go, why on earth would I move closer to my enemies? That doesn't make any sense. Well, God called me to. God told him, through the prophet Gad, I want you to go into Judah. And we see that he, was, he went, even though it wouldn't be safe. Now, tonight... We get to see how the Lord is going to use David's life while he's in Judah. The things that David's going to get to do, and we're just going to look at the first 13 verses tonight, the things that we're going to see David do, he wouldn't get to do if he was living in the cave. He wouldn't have got to do them if he was too afraid to go see what God had for him. Look at chapter 23, verse 1. Then they told David, saying, Look, the Philistines are fighting against Kilah, and they are robbing the threshing floors. Kilah was a city in Judah that was northwest of Hebron. That they're robbing the threshing floor. The Philistines are the arch rivals, the nemesis of the Israelites, and this is what they did. This is this is what they always did to the Israelites. The Israelites would plant, they would cultivate, they would water, they grow. At the time of harvest, when they're trying to reap the reward of their work throughout the entire season, the Philistines would come in and they'd steal their harvest. So word gets back to David. The Philistines are attacking in Kila. They're stealing the harvest. Could David have helped them if he was still in the cave? No, of course not. He wouldn't have been available to them in the cave, but he's available. But I have to stop and ask a question. Why are they asking David for help? Why aren't they asking the king of Israel for help? Shouldn't they have sent word to Saul? Saul Saul's the king. He's the one that's supposed to be protecting the cities of Israel, of Judah. He's the one that should be providing them help, but Saul's preoccupied. What's Saul busy doing? What's Saul focused on? All All he's focused on is killing David. He's not interested in what the Lord wants because we know the Lord would want to protect his people. Saul really didn't care about the people because he was so enthralled with killing David. But notice God's heart in all this. Notice God's heart. God loved his people too much to let them suffer with an unfaithful king. He loved them too much. He didn't want his people to suffer there. If Saul wasn't up to the task, God would raise up a man who was. And David was that man. David was the one. God directed David to act like a king, even though he wasn't king yet. David, we need your help. We need your help. Word gets back to him. Hey, we need help in Kyla. Really, the Philistines are attacking. David, we need help. Let's see what David does in verse 2. Therefore, David inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I go and attack these Philistines? Having been obedient to God by, by leaving the cave, David was now in a position to help them. Having begun and having taught his men to prepare for battle, David had the means to help him. But notice what he says. David wisely says, God, do you want me to go? Do you want me to go? Wouldn't that seem obvious to you and I? If someone's in help, wouldn't the obvious decision be, well, you need to go help them? If if you have the ability to help them, you have the means to help them. Well then you might just go on and go go help them. Why 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 would you need to ask God that question, David? That seems that seems silly to me sometimes. But I want you to understand something. Just because you and I are in the position to help somebody, just because we have the means to help somebody, it's always wise to inquire of the Lord. Lord, do you want me to help that person? do you really want me to help that person? Why? Why should we even have to ask? Don't take it as being the obvious answer of help. Yes. Do they need help? Yes. Can you help? I'll do it. No, listen, the Lord might be doing something in that person's life where your help is not the thing that they really need. You see, they might be presenting a physical need and you might have the ability to meet that physical need, but God's might be saying, you know what? That's not the need that I, I'm doing something greater than that. I'm working in some other area of that person's life. You see, the Lord might be addressing a deeper issue. It might be necessary for them to do without or even to suffer for a season to get a clearer picture of the truth of the very thing that God wants to show them. Reminds me of a story back in Luke chapter 15. The prodigal son. Have you heard the story? We know the story. A man had two sons. The younger son comes to the father and he says, What? Dad, I want my inheritance. Give me what's coming to me. I'm tired of being on this farm. I'm tired of living in this family. I just want to move on. I want to go sow my wild oats. I want to be my own man, be my own person. Just give me what I've got coming. And I'm taking off out of here. And what did dad do? Dad said, sure, I'll give it to you. And he gave him his inheritance, which basically at that, in that day, he was telling his father, you're dead to me. I don't want anything to do with you. I don't want anything to do with this family. I'm done. I'm out of here. And dad gave him that inheritance. And we read in the scriptures, he goes to a faraway land. And he lives a life with harlots. He lives a life of of partying. He lives a life of self indulgence, fulfilling every need of the flesh. Every time the flesh wanted something, he did it. He lived it. And we read, it doesn't take him very long before he's what? He's broke. He's out of money. And then in chapter 15 of Luke, in verse 14, it says this But when he had spent all, when he'd spent all that he had, there arose a famine in that land and he began to be in want. It means he was hungry. He no longer could meet his basic needs. He had nothing left. He began to be in want. Then he went and he joined himself to a citizen of that country. He sent him into his fields to feed the swine, feed pigs. Feed the pigs, the lowest possible job for a Jewish man. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. And no one gave him anything. It's a sad story, isn't it? It's sad in the beginning because he left his dad. It's sad because he blew it all. Now he's here with, with no one's giving him anything. But here hungry, here broke, here, here stooping as low as possible, living with, feeding the pigs, the handling pigs, taking care of pigs was the worst possible thing a Jew. That wasn't kosher. They weren't supposed to be around pigs. Here he is down this low. In verse 17, it tells us, but he came to himself. He came to himself. And he said this, you ever talk to yourself? you got to give yourself some advice once in a while, right? He says to himself, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I am perish with hunger. It means I'm dying of hunger. I'll arise, I'll go to my father and I'll say to him, father, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven and before you and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your, make me like one of your hired servants. Do you see what's going on? The young man, the prodigal son came to a point where he had nothing. He had to get to that point. What if somebody would have fed him along the way? What if somebody had taken him in and given him a place to stay? What if somebody had just met his basic needs, just enough to keep him bumping through life to where he wouldn't realize the true meaning, the true, the true promise, the true problem here? They just, they just, they just met his needs. They just kept bumping him through, just bumping him through at the bottom, just enough where he wouldn't actually look and come to the truth that says, wait a minute, I got a dad back home. He takes better care of his servants, the people that, that work for him, than I, than I'm living my life out here. I know I can go back to my dad and I can say, dad, just treat me like one of your hired servants. Just treat me like one of those people. Would he have come to that place if somebody had fed him along the way? When he had come to that place, if somebody had just, well, just stay with me for a week, just move in with me for a couple of weeks. No, he had to come to that place of desolation. He had to come to that lowness of feeding pigs. He had to come to that place of brokenness, where there's complete brokenness, for him to realize the truth. And the truth was that his dad could take better care of him than he could take care of himself. So what's the rest of the story? He goes home. And I'll just summarize it for you, because we don't have time to read it. He goes home, and what's dad doing? Dad's waiting for him. And we see that as he goes home, dad greets him with a big hug. Dad brings him back into the family. Dad restores him as a son. Dad gives him anything better than better than he could ever imagine. He wanted to be a servant. Dad said, "You're not a servant, you're my son. Come on back home." Do you see the picture? God's the dad. We're the son. We're the ones that walk away from the Lord. We're the ones that, that can walk away from the Lord. We're the ones that have to come to the place. So I say all of that to remember this. Just because you're in a position to help somebody and just because you have the means to help somebody, it's always wise to inquire, God, do you want me to help that person? We always want to inquire of the Lord, God, is this something you want me to do? Now let me let me bring it home to you. What about the guy on the corner that holds the sign, We'll work for food? You ever see him? There's a lot of them sometimes around town. They hold that sign, we'll work for food. You know, and you drive by and you pull up to that stoplight and you're in your car and, and you know you got a few dollars in your wallet or some, even some change in your ashtray or whatever, and you say, should I help that person? I always inquire the Lord, Lord, do you want me to help that person? I don't want to help that person just because they're in need, because they might be the prodigal son. The prodigal son could be standing there holding a sign, we'll work for food. Fine, I'll give you a job, come work for me. And then he bumps along in life at the bottom, never coming to the realization of who his father is, that his father really does have better for him. So even when it comes to those types of things, inquire of the Lord. Lord, what would you have me do? Take a moment, pray. Make sure you keep your eyes open to watch for the light turn green. But take a moment and pray. Because you might find that sometimes you don't feel led to help them at all. And other times you might feel led to do something. You might feel led to go back and get them a meal. You might feel led to pull over and talk to them. You might feel led to do whatever. But it's that's see, the, the, the reason. the whole point is... There's something obvious, there's an obvious need, there's an obvious way to meet the need, but David still takes the time to say, Lord, what do you want me to do? He still inquires the Lord. Look at verse 2, the last half of verse 2. The Lord said to David, go and attack the Philistines and save Kilah. David has heard from the Lord and he likely gives the command to pack up, we're headed to Kilah. And then verse 3, but David's men said to him, look, we're afraid here in Judah. How much more than if we go to Kila against the armies of the Philistines? Then David inquired of the Lord once again. Wisely, very wisely, David takes the counsel from his men into account. I believe he wrestled with it. He was concerned about it. He was wondering because their counsel made a lot of sense. Essentially, they were saying, look, David, we're here in Judah like we're supposed to be. But it's kind of dangerous for here. So, if we go over to Kila and we begin to fight the Philistines, we got a problem because now we have two enemies. Right now, King Saul's our enemy. If we go to Kila and do battle with the Philistines, then we're fighting the Philistines and we're fighting King Saul. And that's dangerous. So, we're kind of scared right now, Lord. We're, David, we're kind of scared right now, David. So, what do we do? And look at his heart. What's he do? He inquires of the Lord once again. He inquired of the Lord once again. Isn't that nice to hear? Isn't it great? David sought the Lord again. For how long? Because that's really what our problem is with seeking the Lord, right? We don't mind seeking the Lord, but the problem is we want an answer from the Lord immediately. You know, we don't want to wait for an answer from the Lord. As Christians, we'll go to the Lord and we'll pray, the prayer, Lord, what do you want me to do? And then we sit and wait. After about three minutes we get up and go well I guess I didn't hear from the Lord so I got to keep going do it figure it out on my own no not, that's not I don't believe that's what David did at all because in the Psalms as we read the Psalms in Psalm 27 14 David encourages us to wait on the Lord wait on the Lord be of good courage and he shall strengthen your hearts wait I say on the Lord David had to learn the idea of waiting on God we don't like that do we we don't live in a society where we like to wait. We're very impatient. We have drive throughs fast foods, walk up. We, we don't want to wait for much of anything in life. Can I tell you that it's worth waiting on the Lord? Yeah. It really is. Wait on the Lord. Just simply wait on the Lord. The direction for your life should not be determined by emotion, logic, or even basic opportunity. You should be driven by the will of the Lord. You must inquire of the Lord. Let me say it again. The direction for our life as believers should not be determined by emotion. It shouldn't be determined by logic or even the fact that a simple opportunity or a good opportunity presents itself before us. These men in their counsel of David was, were driven by emotion. What was their emotion? It was fear. We don't want to go do that. Why? Because I'm scared. Fear can drive you to make choices in life. Any emotion, whatever the emotion is, we don't want to make emotional decisions for our future. We want to make godly decisions. The only way for us to make a godly decision is to inquire of the Lord, just like David did. Because you see, the men, he took their counsel. He understood what they had to say. Enough because we see that he went to the Lord a second time. But he wasn't driven by that. A large part, like I said, a large part of inquiring on the Lord is waiting on the Lord. Sometimes we just have to wait. Well, Rob, how long do we have to wait? Well, I would say wait until you figure it out. Wait till you hear from the Lord. If I'm in a position in my life where I know this is where God has me right now, why would I want to leave this position on a hunch, on an emotion, on an, on an opportunity, or just because something looks better on the other side? I want to stay right where I'm at, planted in the Lord until I am sure the Lord is driving me on to another place. Now, the Lord answers him. He says, Arise, go down to Kila, for I will deliver the Philistines into your hand. Is there anything wrong with inquiring a second time? No, not at all. Not at all. God likes to confirm his word, especially when he directs us to do something hard or unusual. When the Lord called me to move my family to Cumberland, I needed lots of confirmation. To quit my job, leave South Florida, move to Cumberland, plant a church. I needed lots of confirmation. It wasn't just like I had one one day of confirmation, one hour of confirmation. I had this this feeling like I should do that. No, I needed confirmation in his word. I needed confirmation from other people. I needed confirmation, you know, a, a lot of different confirmation from a lot of different places before I was comfortable saying, this is what God called me to do. It took a long time for me to seek the Lord to come to that decision. Sometimes we can, now let me ask you this should we seek the Lord on little choices? Like, like, should it, would it be wise for me? Lord, where do you want me to go to lunch today? Or is that just dumb? God doesn't have any time for that. I would say, seek the Lord on that. Why? Because he might have a divine appointment for you at lunch today. He might have somebody he wants you to meet. He might have somebody that he needs to in in the pathway from here to there. there. There might be something he wants you to do. I think as Christians, we miss that opportunity sometimes because we always feel like God's too busy. He doesn't, he, we can't be bothered with the little stuff in life. Can I tell you that he wants to be bothered with the little stuff in your life? He wants to know what's going on in your life. He wants you to tell him what's going on in your life. We'll see that in, with David a little bit later. Notice too, with this second, as David seeks the Lord the second time, the Lord not only confirmed his previous command, but he also gave him a promise with that confirmation. What was the promise he gave him? He said, I will deliver the Philistines into your hand. I will deliver it. Not only do I want you to go, David, you're going to be victorious. David is obedient. He's obedient, even though it's going to be hard. Even though there's going to be a battle involved, there might be casualties. It might be difficult. God, you're calling me to do battle. You're calling me to a front line. You're calling me to go into a dangerous position where where I'm going to have two enemies possibly approaching from both sides. Think about that from a military standpoint. David and his men move over to Kila. They're doing battle with the Philistines, and here comes Saul and his men up from behind. That's a nightmare. You don't want to ever be somebody coming behind you from a military position. That's the worst possible way, if somebody can circle around and come from behind you. But David's in a place uh, where where he's going to have both if he's not careful. But God says, go. And David says, okay. He's obedient. Verse 5, David and his men went to Kila, They fought with the Philistines. He struck them with a mighty blow. He took away their livestock. So David saved the inhabitants of Kilah. Walking in the will of God, David and his men got to witness the work of God. Was it their bravery that did this victory? Was it their uh, marksmanship? Was it that they were so good with the sword? Or is this a simple hand of the Lord working in their life? It's the hand of the Lord working in their life. God, they get to witness that. He's not yet the king but he sure is acting like it, isn't it? You know, it's the same way in our lives. If God's called you to do something, you may not have a position or a title, but it might be time to start acting like it. Let me say it again. If God's called you to do something in your life, don't wait around for somebody to give you a position or a title or, or something like that. Just start acting like what God's called you to do. Just start doing what he's asked you to do. It's real simple. Verse 6, now it happened when Abathar, the son of Himelech, fled to David at Kila, that he went down with an ephod in his hand. Abathar was the son of the priest Ahimelech. He's the one that gave David the holy bread and the sword of Goliath. He's the one that lost his entire family when uh, Saul found out David had been there and he killed all the priests down there. And he notices, notice it says he brings with him an ephod. This is part of the priestly garments. It's what would contain the Irma and the thumma. It was the way that they would seek answers from God. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a little bit. Look at verse 7 for me. Saul was told that David had gone to Kilah. So Saul said, God has delivered him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. Then Saul called all the people together for war to go down to Kilah to besiege David and his men. Saul starts gathering the troops, and they would naturally assume they're going to war with the Philistines. But Saul had other plans. Notice what Saul says. God has delivered him into my hands. Saul looks at what Dave, or where David is and he says, I see an opportunity. He's in a city. The city has walls. He's, he's caged in. I finally have my opportunity to get David. What a great opportunity, Saul would say. Because there's a great opportunity before me, it must be from God. Now, was Saul a man who was seeking after God? Not at all. But yet he looks at this opportunity before him and he says, oh, it's gotta be from God. Saul believes the Lord had delivered David into his hands. Why did he believe this? Because he had this opportunity, this great opportunity to finally catch the elusive David. I can pen him in. He'll be stuck in this city. We can, we can attack this. Notice what he's thinking. We can attack the city until we get David. He's attacking his own people. If you're taking notes, write this down. Good opportunities do not always indicate God's will. Good opportunities in your life do not always indicate God's will. Just because there's a position available for a promotion, just because there's something good or something available, it doesn't mean it's from God. Saul's a man who was far from God, yet he believes the Lord has given him the desire of his heart. What was the desire of his heart? He wanted David dead. Good opportunities do not always indicate God's will. Let me explain to you what I mean by that. I'm always amazed how someone already in debt up to their eyeballs or someone who has a problem shopping or someone who's buying stuff they don't need, they open up the newspaper on Sunday morning and they see the sales and the ads. And they say, look, what I really desire for my heart, it's on sale. It must be from God. It's on sale. It must be from God. Or you walk by something or you see something. You Oh, because it's in front of me today, it must be from God. If I have a problem with spending too much money and I have a problem living within my budget, do you think that something, God is going to bring me something on sale? No. You see, if I was really seeking after God, I would know that I'm called to be a steward of my money and there's biblical principles I'm supposed to manage my money by. I can make the mistake of going, look, a good opportunity. Therefore, it must be from God. I'm going to tell you one other personal story. After the Lord called me to Cumberland, and some of you guys know this. After the Lord called me to Cumberland, uh, and after I made the decision to come, where I really settled in my heart, because... I had to settle it first. You know, a lot of times we make decisions on the idea of, well, if this happens, then I'll do it. Or if that happens, then I'll do it. And I had to come to a place where I said, all right, I am, the, I am going to move. I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to pack up our house. We're going to get a U-Haul. We're going to move to Cumberland. We're going to start a church there. I don't know how it's going to happen. I know the Lord's calling me. Once I settled that in my heart, once I said that is what I'm doing, and by the way, that was two years before I got here. But once I settled that in my heart, Can I just tell you the number of good job opportunities that came before me? I mean, really good job opportunities. You guys, any of you guys like to watch the criminal shows on TV, like Criminal Minds or anything like that? You ever any any of those? You ever watch the criminal profiling shows where they have these profilers come in, they get to work all these big cases? That was one of the job opportunities I got. There's about fifty criminal profilers in the world that work cases all the way around the world, all different countries. I was invited to join them and be part of that group after I had settled in my heart that I was coming to Cumberland. Do you know what that meant? That meant a big race, lots of money. It meant travel. It meant I got to go all over the world to train. I got to learn all kinds of things, work all of the major cases, all in the life of a detective, because that's what I was. That was the highest. That was, there, there, was nothing, there was nothing better. It was going to be incredible. And I said, no, thank you. And I didn't even think about it. It didn't even take me long. And the people that invited me in said, you, you, you can't say, nobody says no. I said, no, it's no thank you. And I said, they said, you, you, you don't understand what you're, what you're giving up. I said, I'm, I'm sorry, you don't understand what I would be giving up. You know, and I couldn't tell them that I was going to be a pastor and go start a church because I didn't know when that would take place. So as I, I laid that out to them, they, they were dumbfounded. They scratched their head and go, why, why, is, why wouldn't you do this? So they picked somebody else. They picked another guy I knew. He never knew that I was picked before him, and I certainly wasn't going to tell him. But they were confused by it. But you might say, Rob, what a great opportunity. I talked to a friend, a couple of friends of mine. And a couple of Christian friends of mine said, I don't know, man, you better make sure God's really calling you to Cumberland because you're giving up a good opportunity, a really good opportunity. I mean, you're giving up a really, really, really good opportunity. As I said, good opportunities don't always indicate God's will. And that wasn't God's will for my life. Mm-hmm. A year after that, they cut funding for that program. Mm-hmm. Had I gone, I would have been in the program for a year and then I would have had, my, had the funding cut on it. Mm-hmm. Had I gone. A year later, they cut the funding because it was, in, was when the stock market began to fall and funding began to drop. And it would have been a year later, I, would have go, I thought I, this good opportunity at the time wouldn't have lasted forever. That's only one of the number of opportunities I had. It was amazing how once I settled in my heart, this is what God wants me to do, how many good opportunities came along. Please don't ever think just because there's a good opportunity in your life, it's from God. It might be. It might be what God wants you to do. It It might be the plan that God has for you. It might be the door that he's finally opening for you. But it might also be something trying to pull you away from what God has for you. That's why like David, we have to inquire of the Lord. We have to inquire, God, what is it that you want me to do? The obvious is not always the answer. Verse 9. When David knew that Saul plotted evil against him, he said to Abathar, the priest, bring the ephod here. Then David said, O Lord God of Israel, your servant has certainly heard that, see, that, that Saul seeks to come to Kilah to destroy the city for my sake will the men of Kilah deliver me into his hand will Saul come down as your servant has heard O oh Lord God of Israel I pray tell your servant through the wisdom of God David knew David had heard that Saul was coming to get him he didn't make a decision on his own He didn't think, well, I'm stuck in this place. I better get out of here and then I'll seek God. He stayed right where he was and he sought the Lord. Notice what he says. When David knew that Saul plotted evil against him, he said to Abathar, the priest, bring the ephod here. Bring the ephod here. Common sense would have said, David, get out of there fast. You're like an animal in a cage. Saul's coming. He's going to get you. Get out of there. But David doesn't do that. David calls for the ephod. I need to seek God. An ephod was the vest worn by the high priest. Attached to it were the 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And it was comprised of the ermum and the thumim used by the high priest to determine God's will. The ermim and the thumim, two stones. One was believed to be a white stone, one was believed to be a black stone. Some people think they were kept in a little pouch on on the priest's ephod. On, on his breastplate. And as he would inquire of God, he would reach in and pull a stone out. If it was a white stone, the answer was yes. If it was a black stone, the answer was no. Other people think that actually when the priest would, they were, those stones were actually attached to the ephod. And when the priest would seek God, those stones would become brighter if it was yes and become dimmer and, shine, and less shiny if it was no. Regardless of how it actually happened, we're not sure of. We're not exactly sure how it worked. But what we do know, what we, what we are sure of, is that was the way that the Lord would be sought by the priest on behalf of people. So if if David had a question, if he wanted to seek the Lord, he he would give this information to the priest. The priest would then go seek the Lord on David's behalf, and he could come back with an answer. Notice David's prayer. This is the third time he sought the Lord. Notice how he prays. The first thing that he does is he tells God what's going on in his life. He said, God, I've heard that Saul's coming after me. Don't think, or or don't, we would have a tendency to think, well, God already knows that, so I'm not going to tell him. No, no, that's what prayer is all about. It's all about you and I communicating with our creator. Prayer is all about us telling God what's going on in your life. It's amazing how many problems you will work out in your own mind as you lay them out to God. The answers will often become obvious. You ever told a friend a problem and you begin to share and you're talking about what's going on and you share this and you share that and all of a sudden you go, I don't need an answer. It just, it just, it just makes sense now that I've said it all. Now, never mind. I don't need to do it. How much more so with the Lord? Because you're looking at a friend doing it and you're just kind of getting worldly wisdom. How much more so if you and I can go before the Lord in prayer and say, Lord, I've got this issue coming up. I've got this thing I need to do. We're doing it with the radio station right now. You guys have noticed there's a little bit of interference that's happening from time to time again. We don't know what to do. We're not sure how to do it. So Kevin and I are praying about it. Lord, what do you want us to do? We have a bunch of different paths we're going down. Lord, what, how do we fix this problem? Or how, you, you've started this station. You've, got, you've done all this work. What do we do about it? And now we're waiting. And we're saying, all right, Lord, well, you close the door on this path. What's the next option? And we're just kind of pursuing him, going, Lord, what do you want me to do? David just makes his prayer very simple. Look what he says. He says, Oh, Lord God of Israel, your servant has certainly heard that Saul seeks to come to Kila to destroy the city. For my sake. So he just makes it very plain. This is what I've heard, God. Then he asks them two questions. Look, he asks them two questions. Will the men of Kilah deliver me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? Oh God, I pray, Lord, tell me. So he basically says to him, Hey, are the men of Kilah going to tell Saul about me? Are they going to turn me over to Saul? Are they going to I just saved them. I just saved them from the Philistines. Are they going to turn me over? And is Saul really coming down here? God, please tell me. The Lord responds. He says in verse 11, the Lord said, he will come down. And David said, will the men of Kila deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul? Still trying to figure out what to do. Should I leave or should I stay? Saul's coming, but then he says, well, what do I do? Are the men going to deliver me into the hand? The Lord says, they will deliver you. They will deliver you. These are the people that he just saved. These are the people that, why would they deliver him? He just saved them from the Philistines. He just saved their harvest. He went and got all the stuff back. They were probably trying to get into Saul's good graces. They wanted to be, you know, popular to the king. The king needs something. They're going to point David out to him. They used David. Little do they know, David will be the next king of Israel. Mm -hmm. David has been appointed by God. So rather than standing behind the man that stood behind them, they just... Throw under the bus and turn over, and we'll do it for Saul. That God says they'll do it, but David doesn't stick around to let this happen. They never have that opportunity. David leaves before Saul could get there. Look at verse thirteen. So David and his men, about six hundred, arose and departed from Kila, and he went wherever they could go. And it was told Saul that David had escaped from Kila, so he halted the expedition. David left the comfort of the city and he went back to the wilderness, back to a fugitive, back to on the run. I'm sure David must have thought at this point. I'm sure he had the thought, this is it. I'm going to come into Kyla. We've saved Kyla. They're going to make me king of Kyla. And I'm going to be moving on up the ladder from there. But once again, he finds himself right back out in the wilderness. How much is that like our life sometimes? The Lord uses you in a mighty way. You're doing good. And all of a sudden, bam, you're right back out in the wilderness. You're right back in the cave. You're right back out going, oh, Lord, I'm not sure what to do. I'm not sure where to go. David doesn't know where to go next. He's just a man after God's own heart who's being led by the Lord. I don't know where to go next. I'm sure he's saying, where do you go? Well, you just wait on the Lord. You do what you've always done, David. You just inquire on the Lord. You see, in these first 13 verses of chapter 23, we've seen some very important characteristics of David that we need to make sure as followers of Christ, we're doing the same thing. David is a man who inquires of the Lord. Are you a man or a woman who will inquire of the Lord about the things in your life, even when the answer seems obvious? Or do you just do whatever you think you want to do? Are you moved by emotion? Are you moved by the obvious? Are you moved by logic? Or will you stand where God has you until God says to move? David is a man who is obedient to the Lord. When the Lord called David to leave the cave, When the Lord told David to leave the city, the Lord told David to go to the city of Kilah to help them. All that took obedience. He had to be obedient in the in in spite of, listen, all of his men said, let's not go. Good thing it wasn't a democracy, right? They all didn't get a vote. Because David was a man following God. And God said, Go. But David, it doesn't make any sense. It's not logical. We're moved by fear, David. We're afraid here. We're going to be more afraid there. We're going to be overtaken by the enemy. Can I tell you, I've lived it and I've seen it lived out. If you will be obedient to the Lord, even if everybody is standing against you, the Lord will be faithful to you. I've watched it. People told me, well, there's no way that I'm going to come to Cumberland and start a church. No way. It's just not going to happen. You don't know what you're doing. There's no way it'll happen. And I always said, I don't have to start a church. God's going to start a church. I'm just being obedient to what God's called me to do. I'm just going to go teach the word to anybody that comes and will listen. It's as simple as that. I'm not running a business. We don't market. We don't advertise. We don't do any of that stuff. We just say, listen, if you want to hear the word, come listen. We don't have a worship team. We own a radio station. Someday God will give us a worship team, but He hasn't yet. And we're not going to move too fast. We're going to wait on the Lord for that too. I told God there's no way that we could start a church without a worship team. That was my prayer to Him. God, you have to send me a worship. I thought there was going to be a worship leader that came with us from Florida. I was convinced. We had some friends, a good worship leader. I thought for sure they were going to move right alongside of us. He's, he's going to be the worship leader. I'll be the pastor. It'd be great. I told, and then when he wasn't coming, I thought, God, you can't start a church without a worship leader. I guess I was wrong, wasn't I? I've apologized for that. I'm sorry, God, I'm wrong. You know, bring a worship leader. <laughs> but at the same time, we won't step out ahead of God. We're going to wait for God on that. We're not going to do something. We're not going to fill a void just because there's a void. We're going to wait and let the Lord fill the void. That's that's the way that we're going to do it because the Lord already has the worship leader picked out. The Lord already has the ministries picked out. The Lord already has the people picked out. We don't need to go get them. God's going to bring them. Number three, David is a man who inquires the Lord. David is a man who's obedient to the Lord. David is a man who prays simply before God. Lord, this is what's going on in my life. Saul's coming down to kill me, and I need to know what to do. I need some answers, God. Are the people of Kyla, are they going to turn me over? Is Saul really coming down? I need some answers. I don't know. I was trying to think of this today, and I, I could be wrong, but I was trying to think of it. Is there anywhere in Scripture where somebody is seeking God and wants an answer from God and wants direction from God where God says, no, I'm not giving it to you? Mm-hmm. I can't think of anywhere. And I can't think of ever in my life where I have sought direction from God and said, God, I really need to know what to do here and God has said no. Now, he has said wait. And sometimes you have to wait for a long time. Like I said, for me to come to Cumberland, it was two years. I had to wait until that timing was right. Sometimes you have to wait for a long time and it might be longer than two years. But I've never sought direction and not received it from the Lord. I don't believe that God's trying to hold back the plan for our life. Like he's up in, like he's going, I'm not telling you what I want you to do in life. It's just the opposite. If he created us for a purpose, doesn't he want to see us fulfill that purpose? What's, what's, what gets in the way is when we fail to inquire of God and we begin doing our own thing. If we want to be men and women after God's own heart, we can learn from David. And we must be or we need to be people who inquire of the Lord, people who are obedient to the Lord, and people of prayer. It's as simple as that. In these 13 verses, David demonstrated that to us. And we're going to watch as we continue through 1 Samuel. David's life is going to be one lesson for us after another. Some for the good, like in these verses. And other times we'll see where where he's setting a bad example. But either way, we're going to be able to learn. The question is, for us tonight, will we be people who inquire of the Lord? Will we be obedient to the Lord and to his word? You know, that's a big hindrance for some people. When the word of God says, hey, don't do this. You have to be obedient to it. Can I really expect to hear from God if I'm not really following God? I believe the Bible, but I don't want to live the Bible. That's not the life of a Christian. A Christian is someone who says a follower of Christ is someone who says, I want to live after the Lord. I want to to follow hard after God. I'm willing to take the things in Scripture and believe them to be true because God says they're true. I realize that it's going to offend me sometimes, and I might not like it. And it might point out my sin, and it might cause me to have to come to a place of repentance and fall down on my face before God, but that's okay. Because that's me establishing God as God. And me establishing me as his creation. There's a big difference. You see, when I begin to nitpick scripture and I begin to say that this isn't true, when it's clearly, clear, I'm not talking about things that are are debatable. I'm thinking about things that are clear in scripture, clear biblical doctrines where we begin to discount them because they're not fit for today. They're not up to the modern culture because we've exchanged them for something that's more comfortable for us. I disagree with that. You see, we have to be people who are obedient to the Lord. And where do we have, where do we find the, the Word of the Lord? Right here. This is it. This is our Bible. And we have to be people of prayer. Are we people of prayer? Or do we say, "Well, I pray once in a while when I need something, when I'm in trouble." How much time do we spend in prayer? The Apostle Paul said, "Pray without ceasing." That means that we should be living in a constant attitude of prayer. It doesn't mean I'm on my knees always praying. But it means we should be living in, a, in an attitude of prayer. My heart should be with prayer. When you pray the way David prayed, you can do that in your car. You can do that. Well, sitting here, you can do that. Walking out of here, Lord, what, I'm going. Lord, what would you like me to do for the rest of the evening? It's as simple as that. And you know, you might put on your heart. Go, go, go. Get some ice cream and with a friend, or go call a friend, and you might be able to uplift them. You, you know, so and so. He might put a person on your heart, and and might turn out they're lonely. They need to talk to you. It might be whatever, but the. I have to be willing to be able to be led by the Lord. I have to be willing to be inquire of the Lord. Otherwise my time is just mine. I'm not really giving it to God. I don't want to be a person who gives God Sunday mornings. I want to be a person who gives God all my life. All the time, all the days, all the hours and all the minutes. Father, we thank you for your time and your word or for our time in your word. Lord, as we look at the life of David, and we see and just in these, these first 13 verses, what I pray that we're challenged tonight to inquire of you on those things that are important in our life especially, but even those things that are seemingly unimportant, those things that we might have a tendency to think that you don't care about. And Lord, as we study your word and we see it, Lord, as you speak to our heart, may we be obedient. May we not just hear your word, may we live your word. And Lord, would you help us be people of prayer? Would you just remind us to pray? Would we set aside time to pray? Lord, if we're not living for you 100%, what are we living for? Father, I just thank you again for your word. And Lord, if we are convicted tonight, may it move us to a place of repentance and a place to turn away and turn back towards you. May it move us, may it challenge us, Lord, in a way where our relationship with you is stirred up. It's brought to a a new level. May it bring us to that place where we experience that oneness with you, that fellowship with you, where we hear that still small voice of yours lead us and guide us throughout our day, where we're available to be used by you. Lord, there comes a time in Christian's life where we have to be willing to be used, where it's time to leave the cave and go out into the mission field. In Jesus' name, amen.